T.O.B. number three, the second account of the creation of man. General audience of September 19th, 1979. In reference to Christ's words on the subject of marriage, in which he appeals to the beginning, we turned our attention one week ago to the first account of the creation of man in Genesis 1. Today we will go on to the second account, often defined as Yahwist, because in it God is often called Yahweh. The second account of the creation of man, linked with the presentation of original innocence, original happiness, and the first fall, has by its nature a different character. Although we do not want to anticipate the details of this narrative, because we will have to recall them in later analyses, we must observe that the whole task in formulating the truth about man strikes us with its typical depth, different from that of the first chapter of Genesis. One can say that this depth is above all subjective in nature, and thus in some way psychological. Chapter 2 of Genesis constitutes in some way the oldest description and record of man's self-understanding, and together with chapter 3, it is the first witness of human conscience. By means of deeper reflection on this text, through all the archaic form of the narrative, manifesting its early mythical character, we find there, in nucleo, almost all the elements of the analysis of man to which modern, and above all contemporary, philosophical anthropology is sensitive. One could say that Genesis 2 presents the creation of man especially in the aspect of his subjectivity. When we compare the two accounts, we reach the conviction that this subjectivity corresponds to the objective reality of man created in the image of God. And also, this fact is, in another way, important for the theology of the body, as we shall see in the following analyses. It is significant that in his response to the Pharisees, in which he appeals to the beginning, the Christ indicates in the first place the creation of man with reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. From the beginning, the Creator created them, male and female. It is only after this that he quotes the text of Genesis 2, 24. The words that directly describe the unity and indissolubility of marriage are found in the immediate context of the second creation account, the characteristic feature of which is the separate creation of woman. See Genesis 2, verse 18 through 23. While the account of the creation of the first man, male, is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. The Bible calls this first human being man, Adam, while from the moment of the creation of the first woman, it begins to call him male, Ish, in relation to Isha, woman because she has been taken from the male Ish. And it is also significant that when he appeals to Genesis 2.24, Christ not only links the beginning with the mystery of creation, but also leads us to the boundary, so to speak, between man's primeval innocence and original sin. The second description of the creation of man in Genesis is situated precisely in this context. There we read, first of all, with the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he formed a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones. She will be called woman 
because from man has she been taken. Genesis 2, 22-23 For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Genesis 2, 24 Now both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame. Genesis 2, 25 Then immediately after these verses, Genesis 3 begins the account of the first fall of the man and the woman, linked with the mysterious tree that before this had already been called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2.17. A completely new situation thereby emerges, essentially different from the one before it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a boundary line between the two original situations about which Genesis speaks. The first situation is that of original innocence, in which man, male and female, finds himself, as it were, outside of the knowledge of good and evil, until the moment in which he transgresses the Creator's prohibition and eats the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The second situation, by contrast, is that in which man, after having transgressed the Creator's command at the suggestion of the evil spirit symbolized by the serpent, finds himself in some way within the knowledge of good and evil. This second situation determines the state of human sinfulness, contrasting with the state of primeval innocence. Although the Yahweh's text as a whole is very concise, it is sufficient for distinguishing and contrasting these two original situations. We are speaking of situations here, having before our eyes an account that is a description of events. Nevertheless, through this description in all its particulars, the essential difference between the state of man's sinfulness and that of original innocence becomes clear. In these two antithetical situations, systematic theology was to see two different states of human nature, status naturae integre, state of integral nature, and stat status naturae lapse, state of fallen nature. All of this emerges from the Yahweh's text of Genesis 2 and 3 which contains in itself the most, most ancient word of revelation and evidently has a fundamental significance for the theology of man and the theology of the body. The Perspective of the Redemption of the Body, Romans chapter 8, verse 23. When Christ, appealing to the beginning, directs the attention of his interlocutors to the words written in Genesis 2.24, he orders them, in some sense, to pass beyond the boundary that runs in the Yahweh's text of Genesis between man's first and second situation. He does not approve what Moses had allowed because of hardness of heart and appeals to the words of that first divine order expressly linked in this text with man's state of original innocence. This means that this order has not lost its force, although man has lost his primeval innocence. Christ's answer is decisive and clear. For this reason, we must draw the normative conclusions from it, which have an essential significance not only for ethics, but above all for the theology of man and the theology of the body, which, as a particular aspect of theological anthropology, is constituted on the foundation of the Word of God who reveals himself. We will try to draw such conclusions in the next meeting.